the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602508-0960. Happy Friday. We've been kind of hitting a lot of different issues today, and we ended up with education and bravery. And I'm going to say something about men and work in a few moments, too, in a connected thought. But, Rob, you go ahead, sir. You've been uh, you, you got in at the last moment in the last part of the last hour. So welcome back. Well, well thank you, sir. Um, and again, I, I would uh, kind of guide people another Thomas Sowell great quote, which really applies. Um, each new generation born is, in effect, an invasion of civilization by little barbarians mm. who must be civilized before it is too late. Mm. 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 And I think, you know, again, we think of education, we think of. Okay, how is the home life? Uh, what is the individual's uh, aptitude? What is the individual's motivation in school? What is it that they aspire to be like? Um, what is it that they want to be when they grow up? And of course, that's going to change a million times. But I think the bottom line, at least from what I've seen, is that uh, in the public school system in particular, there doesn't seem to be very many teachers who, and again, I don't want to paint a broad brush here, but I don't think there's a whole lot of teachers that motivate kids to want to learn how to learn uh, and want to learn uh, what needs to, you know, if you want to be a doctor, what is it that you, what courses do you need to get really good at? Well, chemistry, obviously, and, and physics and science, but how many kids are really uh, motivated? And then when you think of and see in our area, how many uh, non-American uh, doctors we have in the area, uh, we're utterly failing uh, in, in the sense like you were talking earlier where a third of eighth graders can't can't read. And, um, and, and more than a third work. can't do math, basic math, right. Can't, right, do, right. can't do math, exactly. So something is obviously wrong. And I'm assuming, and I have to assume uh, based on the information and the facts that uh, the public education system is failing, and that's everybody's problem because, again, they, they are a powerful, they have powerful unions. They have uh, powerful uh, school boards and superintendents and principals, most of whom think alike, most of whom have come from, uh, you know, an education degree or a master's in education, in some cases a Ph.D. in education, and they've all basically uh, drunk the Kool-Aid. And so it isn't as simple a thing as, you know, getting up to the school board and saying, we don't want you guys to teach critical race theory. Um, that's great, and I'm glad we're doing it. But I think there's a deeper, more complicated um, underbelly, if you will, in the public education system, which, again, I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan of homeschooling and private schools because I, I think they're freed from the constraints of unions and groupthink, and uh, what 
the you know the the popular flavor of the day might be whether it's like okay uh, math is racist or uh, diversity inclusion and equity must be part of everybody's curriculum and it's all nonsense and it's all wrong and it's not teaching kids to learn how to think or to learn how to learn and it's very very frustrating since I'm you know in my senior years and I went to a school you know that naval academy place where boy, you had to be so motivated, it's unbelievable, and you had to be prepared, and you had to study, and you had to work your butt off. And you had to sweat nervously, didn't you? People tell me, you know, the the smell of stress is pretty pretty strong. It was was then. I'm I'm not exactly clear it's the same now, because I think (laughs) a lot of ways, even the service academies, with the exception of VMI and the Citadel, um, I think the other service academies, I think, have succumbed to the whole uh, diversity, inclusion, equity thing. And that really makes me very angry. But, again, back, you know, 45, 47 years ago, um, yeah, it was uh, – it was. you didn't know if you could make it through the day. Right. And you had doubts. And these, these were people that were smarter than I'll ever be, um, and these were people that were motivated and – I don't see, well, in my short experience, I didn't see, I have maybe one student out of five math classes who I saw had potential, uh, maybe two. Uh, one enlisted in the Navy after high school and became a nuclear-trained enlisted submarine tech, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but, again, the vast majority are not um, grasping the importance of uh, the schooling, are not caring about whatever it is they're being taught, and I think that needs to change. And I don't see it changing until and unless uh, the unions uh, decide that the, the student is really what they're there for. And thus far, it's clear to me that they're not. Well, we've been at this probably since the mid-'80s. And mm-hmm. I, it, things have gotten steadily worse in the public system. That's right. Things have gotten steadily worse in the private system, too, unfortunately. There are a lot of good private schools. There are a lot that ain't. There are some public schools that are better than some private schools. So the, the, real, the real hope I have is either more, more private and more charter along the lines you're talking about or more homeschooling. Because despite – I mean the Democratic Party is now on record. It's now on record – in the uncountermanded statement of its former chairman, Terry McAuliffe, Mm -hmm. parents are not Mm -hmm. primarily responsible for their children's education in the schools. Right, right. Well, I'm sorry, but until yesterday, parents were always known as a child's first, most important, and all but indispensable teacher. And up until yesterday in the schools... Teachers were complaining that they were burdened by having too much to do too much of the work of parenting. Mm-hmm. This is another quick and radical turn. It's another quick and radical turn. The less parents, the better. You, you don't want outside input disrupting the party line. See, we once thought schools were supposed to inculcate Americanism. Yeah. The left knows that Americanism is the problem. So they've taken the schools to inculcate something else. 
and it reminds mm-hmm. me of Daniel Borston, the former, the former uh, librarian of Congress's line, that you can't steep mm-hmm. a society in anti-Americanism and expect to have America come out and expect to keep America. You well, can't, that, you can't right. do it, and, and that is the point. That is the point. That is. So that, that makes is. our right. job, right? So if you just follow the thinking here, it makes our job not so much complaining about that, which we have to. Obviously, it's our, it's our, it's our impetus. It's our catalyst for the next harder job, which is, mm-hmm. which is made harder by the schools, frankly. They've done a good job of this, which mm-hmm. is to teach why America is good. Why America was great. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you or I could walk into almost any school today. I have a few friends who run some schools and they'll say at my school you could, but, and, and they're right. But mostly you and I could not walk into any school today and tell the students, much less the teachers, that the Confederacy was a minority of the population and a minority of the United States states as it consisted back then, as it existed then. I don't think they'd know that. No, I don't wouldn't. think they'd know that slave states were the minority of states by the time of the Civil War. I don't think they'd know no. that. And I don't think they'd no, know that the, slave popu- that, the, that the slave-owning population was the minority of the United States back in those days either. I don't think they'd know any no, of I'm- that. No, I'm, I'm sure they. You wouldn't. can't destroy America um, if the if 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 the evil was done by the minority of people and the majority took to war to end it. That's right, and a half a million died for it. More, you know. Well, and again with the you know this whole border crisis, I I, I look at that and I see it's all intended because um, the Democrats want people to become dependent on uh, government handouts and. That way, they will have a larger voting base uh, that they can depend on for their, you know, ever-expanding welfare state, and as a result, uh, less individual freedom, liberty, and, and uh, good citizenship, if I may. And I think that's one of the big problems you have, too, with these kids coming into the schools. They don't speak English. They don't know English. And they can't really learn because their culture totally different and not Americanized because they haven't assimilated. Right. Right. Anyway, thank have you, a Rob. great weekend. You do Seth. the same. You exactly. earned it. Thank you, brother. And thank you for your service thank to you, our sir. country. I was, um, I was thinking about the issue of work, the issue of more people, more, 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 more jobs opening than there are people who are willing to fill them and how we got there. I've been thinking about a lot of this lately and anew, especially since the, ma- the vaccine mandates at the federal level have been cowering companies into complying with an order that has not been officially issued. Think about that, by the way. Brett Johnson was talking about this on the show earlier in the week. Think about that. Chilling effect, we called it, when it came to First Amendment speech rights. 
If you're worried that the FBI is going to knock on your door for showing up at a school board meeting, that's a chilling effect. It has the effect of you, what, being frozen into inaction, not, not taking the action. It's a preemptive chilling effect. Keep you from going there. Think twice about going there. You've seen how it works with the vaccine mandate already, haven't you? Look at all these companies that are abiding by it before OSHA even put out the rule on it. I think it was September 9th when Joe Biden first issued the statement about it. But it's not more than a statement. It's not more than a statement. You think about all these companies doing it. And in some cases, too many already, thousands of people leaving work because of it, choosing having to choose, being forced to choose. It's a Hobson's choice, meaning not a real one, between their principles or health and their livelihood. This is what the government is already forcing them to do. They didn't have a choice in the earlier parts of last year when everything was shut down, everything and I gave, a, uh, I gave a talk on the value of work and its relationship to what we were doing to COVID and why I said work was so important to society and family and citizenship. And YouTube banned it. We were putting our statement, uh, our monologues on YouTube, on YouTube in those days. We stopped because they just kept banning them censoring them. And I thought I might revisit it given the problems we are facing today, anew, afresh. People having to choose between their livelihood and their principles or health. And it's especially interesting uh, for me to revisit this very point when I tell you, well, let me just tell you what I said back then. It was Robert Kennedy who I first read, who I first read saying that the best welfare program is a job. He talked a lot, Robert Kennedy did, about the virtue of work. And it is a virtue. He said, quote, the kind of employment that lets a man say to his community, to his family, to his country, and most important to himself, I helped build this country. I'm a participant in its great ventures. I am a man. That's what work did in Robert Kennedy's eyes for human beings. I am a man. Wow. You think about that phrase. I know where Bill's mind's going. He knows where I'm going. I am a man. I had known that phrase from Martin Luther King Jr.'s last protest in Memphis on behalf of sanitation workers, the black sanitation workers in Memphis. Google this, I beg of you, or duck, duck, go it, whatever the appropriate search term is, please do it. Look at the pictures of the protests in Memphis at Martin Luther King's last effort, the sanitation workers' protest. 
And look at the cards they're carrying, the posters, the billboards they're holding. Four simple words they all read, all of them. I am a man is what they wrote. I am a man. There was a double meaning in that. In the past, we've pretty much only spoken about one of the meanings. The one we spoke of was that the black sanitation workers did not hold signs saying they were men of a particular color, though they were all black. They held signs saying they were men, not black men, not I am a black man, I am a man, to remind their community of the promise and the truth of the Declaration of Independence. But their other meaning was what Robert Kennedy was saying. Work is part of what makes a man a man. That may sound a little old-fashioned today, but to borrow from Captain America, the original one we could probably all use a little old-fashioned right now. Let's get back to the virtue of it all for a moment. Virtues are important because their absence or opposites are dangerous, unhealthy for our human bodies as well, the body politic. One of my favorite quotes on this is Michael Novak's, a country that esteems moral virtue has 300 million policemen, a country that denigrates it will never be able to hire enough. A man out of work, as people like J.D. Vance and a lot of social science shows, leads to, to quote a recent article in The New Yorker, quote, the lazy way out of responsibilities and the choice instead of alcohol, drugs, and welfare and disability checks over a commitment to hard work, family, and community. And the price for such hedonism and decadence is violence, addiction, emptiness, depression, and even suicide. There is a reason for our old saying, it turns out. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You hear that anymore? That's not new to you, is it, Bill? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Anyone know where it's from? They probably don't, because as George Orwell predicted in his novel 1984, by 2050, this author would be gone. The author is Chaucer, Geoffrey Chaucer. That's where it comes from. He writes, That servant and that nurse unto the vices which men do call in English idleness... Portress at pleasure's gate, by all advices we should avoid, and by her foe express, that is to say, by lawful busyness. We ought to live with resolute intent, lest by the devil through sloth we should be rent. Lawful busyness. Let me say some more about this. Let me say some more about this. The war against men, of course, is a big one. The war against work is equally important. I'll be right back. The stars and stripes, a little old-fashioned. Everything that's happening, the things that are about to come to light, people might just need a little old-fashioned. <laughs> were you playing games with me? What were you doing there? Give Rusty the control back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I was saying a thing or two about the war on work, which I think is as important as the war on man. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Perhaps without knowing it, or perhaps forgotten, for, forgotten, 
is why industrious is encouraged at even a young age, at the youngest of ages, either by playing playing store. Did you have that as kids? Or did you have your kids playing store or even the old childhood lemonade stand? It's not just fun for the kids. There's moral lessons in here. Again, one they enjoy endemically, congenitally for a reason, a series of reasons, really. You know, Dave Ramsey, he put it this way, quote, We teach children to work not for our benefit, but because it gives them both dignity and a job well done today and the tools and character to win in the future as adults. You should view teaching your children to work in the same way you view teaching them to bathe and brush their teeth as a necessary skill for life. An adult who has no clue how to tackle a job and finish it with vigor is as debilitated as an adult with green teeth and body odor. If your child graduates from high school and his only skill set consists of playing video games, whining, copying an attitude of entitlement, needing junk food, you have a failure on your hands. And you've set him up to fail, or her. He also points out something I didn't think of but is eminently true. Another huge benefit of teaching a child the wonder of work, especially young girls, is that they will tend to lose respect for people who refuse to work. Why is this good? It's good because you want your daughter to marry Mr. Right, not Mr. Lazy. You don't want your kids marrying no-loads, typically. This is why we want Americans working. It's good for us. It's good for our soul. It's good for our nation because not only is it our soul, personal and national, we care about. It turns out, funny thing, food and shelter cost money. So let's stop with the millionaires and billionaires being the only ones that care about the economy. Shall we? Ron Klain, chief of staff to the president. Bill, uh, my producer, had a friend who worked as a uh, hotel clerk and is at a time in COVID, his hours were shrunk. I believe it was 10 hours a week at one point they were shrunk to. And he was not happy about it. And that's a curious thing because really, unless he's also a millionaire, I thought only millionaires and billionaires cared about the economy. It's worth a volume of logic. A listener sent me a reading from Paul Harvey called the testing time. The testing time. Is there a better phrase for what we are in now? Maybe we shouldn't call it a crisis anymore or a pandemic. Maybe we should call it a testing time. I wonder how that would itself test in Frank Luntz's language filter. In that talk of Paul Harvey's, he spoke of how this country was built. He spoke of the pioneer. The word, by the way, comes from the notion of a foot soldier. Is anyone a harder worker than a foot soldier? And in any event, he said the pioneer who built this country, quote, didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work, nor did he expect pay for no work at all, come to think of it. He didn't demand anything, that hard-handed pioneer. He just looked out there at the rolling plains stretching away to the tall green mountains, and he lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, Thank you, God, now I can take it from here. 
Now, that spirit isn't dead in our country. It's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just a few seasons ago, politicians baiting their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes began telling us we don't want opportunity anymore. We want security. They said it so often we came to believe them and we wanted security and they gave us chains. And we were secure suddenly with our constitutional guarantees depleted and our national character eroded away. Think about that. Paul Harvey did that, I don't know, 50 years ago. Hell of a man, that Paul Harvey. Say a little more when we come back. Be right back. Here's Winton. At least he's working, right? Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Let me say another word about work before I go to your calls. Just a moment. Um, when it comes to this choice being foisted on so many American workers, vaccine or no job, I just want to say it is not cold-hearted or hard-hearted to care about our individual rights and souls as much as our physical bodies. It is not cold-hearted or hard-hearted to see our body politic as important as all of our human bodies. It is indeed the care of both that is the thing here. You cannot care about one without the other. We care about both because we care about America as much as we care or should as much as we care about Americans But don't forget for one moment, don't forget, wanting to care for America and Americans first was what caused so much ire and still does from our political opponents. Don't forget that. And more importantly, don't forget that caring about your country and countrymen is a fine and good thing. I bet after all, most of us can tell you the name of a worker we feel badly for. And most cannot name the head of Boeing or the head of any major corporation. But we know workers' names, and we care about them, which is why we and they, as soon as possible, want this over. It's a good thing to get it over and have people back to work. And I'm sorry, Mr. Klain, it's not about millionaires and billionaires, but about something much bigger than that. And in a saner time, we called it a virtue. Diana's in Phoenix. Hi, Diana. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, I just wanted, you're welcome. I just wanted to speak regarding the working and the mandate. So I work for a health care system here in Phoenix. My husband works for the federal government, and we both are mandated now to take the vaccine. Um, I had my exemption denied, and we feel like, you know, we're fighting this on our own. And I have, um, I hear people say, you know, hold the line, do what you need to do, don't let go of your beliefs and what you feel is right as an American, but at the same time, we are losing everything. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's in concert with your beliefs to be on welfare either, is my guess. No, absolutely right. not. Right. But 
Right. We're losing our livelihood, but from what I understand now, even if we get fired from our job, we will not even be able to get unemployment <laughs> because we chose not to take the vaccine. So you're almost in a predicament that either way you turn, you're losing, or it's going to be a, a very hard fight. And How, I'm wondering, uh, yeah, go who, ahead. In Washington, who in Washington is fighting for me? I feel alone. There are people, I, 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 I have heard this, Diana, so often, and your tears are noted and counted. Truly they are. It's an old Talmudic line. How does it go? God counts the tears of women. Meaning those who shed the tears of women are in trouble <laughs> with God. Don't make women cry is the point. And this is a government that has done that to Diana and so many others I've heard from. Calls, emails. And, yeah, look, first of all, don't take counsel from anyone who doesn't have to suffer the slings and arrows you're going to have to suffer if they don't have to suffer them and they don't know what it is. Don't take counsel from them. It is a principle and a virtue to take care of your family and your children. Do you remember that hair salon and hair, hair stylist in Texas who said to the judge, I know you have a rule, and I know the governor has a rule, but I have a rule too, and I'm not going to be embarrassed or ashamed for putting food in my children's mouth. That's a rule and a virtue too. It is sad that the government has had to even make you contemplate this. It's even worse if private companies without the government's heavy hand are making you do it. It's even worse because it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. I, um, I am amazed. And I, and I run out of words. But I am amazed when you step back and think about how the left has set individual against individual in this country over rituals of meaningless content. Rituals of meaningless content. And I'll say it again. I'll say it again. People have various reasons for taking the vaccine or not taking the vaccine, irrespective of this work and employment issue. I respect most of them, I think. <laughs> I do. I think I do. I respect most of those opinions about it, whether they take it or don't. At least I think I do. But the notion after all of last year, where we, where we were wondering what the fallout would be from setting families against each other, especially through their children, we thought all that would end and that the school reopenings would be just great relief. A big collective sigh, 
of relief and freedom. There's something important we forgot on that road. The left doesn't care about freedom. They care about control, and they'll use any euphemism or pseudonym for it. Right now, it's abundance of caution and safety. I don't know. I'll tell you, I think my safety is better left to me than Joe Biden right now. You with me? Just over the break, curious. I I knew there was someone I wanted to go to to see if he had written or said anything on work. And that one I wanted to go to was Teddy Roosevelt. And I found it. He gave a speech to the YMCA in 1903. Work, the quality which makes a man ashamed not to be able to pull his own weight, not to be able to do for himself as well for others without being beholden to anyone for what he is doing. No man is happy if he does not work. Of all miserable creatures, the idler in whatever rank of society is in the long run the most miserable. If a man does not work If he has not in him not merely the capacity for work but the desire for work, then nothing can be done with him. He is out of place in our community. We have in our scheme of government no room for the man who does not wish to pay his way through life by what he does for himself and his community. If he has leisure which makes it unnecessary for him to devote this time to earning his daily bread, then all the more he is bound to work just as hard in some way that will make the community the better off for his existence. If he fails that, he fails to justify his existence. Work, the capacity for work, is absolutely necessary, and no man's life is full. No man can be said to live in the true sense of the word if he does not work. This is necessary, and yet it is not quite enough. If a man is utterly selfish, if utterly discardful of the rights of others, if he has no ideals, if he works simply to gratify himself, small is his good in the community. I think even then he is probably better off than if he is an idler, but he is of no real use unless together with the quality which enables him to work, he has the quality which enables him to love his fellows, to work with them and for them, for the common good of all. The non-worker is the most miserable, he said, of all the idlers. Shame on the government that makes us miserable people. Bless you all. Long week. Hope you have a weekend that feels just as long, in a good way. Until Monday, you know what I mean. (laughs) Until Monday, I'm done. Until Monday, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.